Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories for you in just a moment. But first, a snowfall warning is in effect. It started coming down just in time for the afternoon commute. Catherine Urquhart is live in Langley Forest tonight where it's been falling for a few hours now. Catherine, how are the roads? Yeah, that's right, Chris. We are just off of 200th Street. The snow has been coming down quite heavily, although in the last couple of minutes it has tapered off somewhat. The good news is it is not sticking on the main roadways. So we can tell you though, snow coming down across much of Metro Vancouver as well. Plenty of snow in Maple Ridge tonight. Most of it also not sticking, at least not on the roads. A similar story in the Fleetwood area and in South Surrey, although some viewers have advised that some snow is sticking at this hour. Only about two centimeters has fallen so far, though. And on Highway Number 1, traffic slower than usual as motorists take their time getting home. We can tell you that visibility has not been great on the highway. Certainly it wasn't on the way coming out here. So anybody hitting the roadways tonight, well advised to slow down. Back to you guys. Always good advice in these conditions. Okay, thanks very much, Catherine. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the snowfall warning. Uh, you've been watching this, Christy. How long is it going to last? Chris, really not much longer. The main part of this system will track east this evening. Western regions will likely see the snow ease in the next hour or two. Now, temperatures have dropped in the past couple of hours, and this has allowed snow to accumulate in a few of the colder regions, like Surrey, for example. Uh, but this will likely be as cold as it gets tonight. So while most have and will see snow actually fall from the sky, most areas will not see any snow on the ground. But the snowfall warning remains in effect for the few key neighborhoods it could see a couple of centimeters. That's it. All right. Thanks very much. We'll check back with you a little later. Now, a chronic offender is behind bars tonight, arrested and charged in connection with a break and enter at a Vancouver wig store. Martin Wigelt, described as one of the city's more prolific property offenders. Sarah McDonald has more on Wigelt's rap sheet. And Sarah, it's a long one. It is certainly extensive, dating back decades, and many of our viewers will likely recognize the prime suspect in this high-profile theft that impacted child cancer patients. You've likely seen his face before, and you've probably heard his name. If you bring him up to an officer here in the Vancouver Police, chances are they know who this offender is. Martin Weigelt, a prolific repeat offender with an astounding rap sheet of more than 100 criminal convictions in three decades. Now back behind bars after allegedly pulling off another high-profile heist. We were relieved, um, but you know, finding out that he's been doing this for three decades, it's pretty sad. Vancouver police now say Weigelt was the mastermind behind that brazen theft of some 150 wigs meant for child cancer patients in September. It was definitely someone that's been in here and scoped out our place. 
and who'd know the value of these handmade human hair pieces, swiping some $200,000 worth of them, half of which later recovered but deemed worthless for patients like Sage who need them most. So she was looking forward to having a wig so that she could look and feel more like herself. It was forensics that ultimately led investigators to Weigelt in this case and not for the first time. In 2009, the now 52-year-old chronic offender was busted for burglarizing half a million dollars in goods from this high-end jewelry store by blood left behind on broken glass. In 2006, he found himself at the center of controversy, literally with this notorious so-called trophy photo. That's Weigelt front and center. After being nabbed in a string of break-ins, the career criminal even then considered a big catch for police. And my expectation is that, uh, you know, that the seriousness of the nature and the, uh, if someone's a repeat offender, that clearly is taken, taken, into, uh, taken into account and they get the appropriate sentence. Now Weigold is once again back on the radar of authorities, facing new charges in custody. One of the province's most prolific criminals now back behind bars. But police are still no closer to finding all of those wigs he is alleged to have stolen. About 90 of those hair pieces still missing some six months after that initial break-in. Sophie, police are asking anyone with information on their whereabouts to give them a call. Hopefully they get tracked down. Sarah, thank you. Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou made a brief court appearance today where she learned her extradition case would be postponed. Wanzhou was arrested back in December at YVR at the request of U.S. authorities, who alleged she conspired to violate sanctions against Iran. Grace Key explains what's behind the delay and why the case could drag on for months or even years. From her Vancouver home, where she's out on $10 million bail, Huawei Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou heads to Supreme Court. It was a quick appearance. A date was supposed to be set for her extradition hearing, but that's been adjourned to May 8th. Her lawyers saying they need more time to deal with proposed applications. We can expect to see more of the same over months, if not years. Uh, it's a lawyer's holiday on both sides of the border. High-profile extradition cases have taken years. It took 17 years for Jeswinder Sidhu's mother and uncle to get extradited to India, accused of masterminding her death after she married a poor rickshaw driver. Rakesh Saxana fought extradition for 13 years before he was sent back to Thailand to face embezzlement charges. And it took 10 years to extradite Karl-Heinz Schreiber to Germany, where he was linked to a corruption scandal. Yeah, I was quite heavily involved with the Karl-Heinz Schreiber case. It goes through all the steps, all the hoops, goes through uh, judicial review and appeal, and then to the Supreme Court of Canada. It can take 10 years. In the meantime, tensions continue between Ottawa and Beijing. Two Canadians are being held in China accused of spying, and one of Canada's largest canola exporters has been blocked from China. When we start getting into major commercial operations, and this is a multi-billion dollar, this raises the stakes. Meng and her tech company faced 13 criminal counts of conspiracy, fraud and obstruction charges. At the request of U.S. authorities, she was arrested in December at the Vancouver International Airport. Her lawyer calling this a rare case in an extradition, adding defense applications would include an abuse of process. Meng's next court appearance is on May 8th. Grace Key, Global News. 
Charges have now been laid in connection with the shooting of a 17-year-old in Surrey. The youth suffered serious injuries when he was shot January 9th outside a townhouse complex. Today, Surrey RCMP announced six charges have been laid against 32-year-old Rajinder Sandhu of Surrey. While investigators believe this was a targeted incident, which stemmed from an earlier dispute between parties known to one another, they do not believe the teenager was the intended target. More than half a million dollars. That's how much 420 celebrations cost Vancouver taxpayers in total over the past two years. And while organizers dispute that number, tonight City Council is discussing alternate venues for the event going forward. And as Romina Dea reports, critics say it's high time organizers pay their own way. The serenity of Sunset Beach will soon be under a cloud of smoke. Vancouver's 420 pot protest returns in April, despite the city's objections. A leaked city memo from July of last year breaks down the costs for holding the unsanctioned event in 2017 and 2018. The lion's share going to policing. All in the bill to taxpayers, more than $583,000. Taxpayers shouldn't be footing the bill. If they want to have the event, I think they should be allowed to have the event, but they should do it at their own expense. Yeah, they should cover the cost. I definitely think there needs to be some changes because, you know, not a lot of people are happy right now with it. We are treated very differently from every other protest in the city. I think we should be getting a thank you. The spokesperson for 420 is adamant. The event is a protest, period. So they're not responsible for covering costs like policing, normally paid for by organizers of sanctioned events. Over $60,000 we paid. We paid everything they asked us for except for the policing bill. That is the only part of the invoices that we received that we did not pay. Protests don't have booths. They don't have commerce tents. They don't sell t-shirts. They don't have cookies for sale. This is a festival and it should be treated like a festival. And by that we mean taxpayers should not be footing the bill for this. According to the memo, there were about 482 vendor tents at last year's 420 event. Most came at a cost, $500 to $750 a booth, totaling over $160,000 in sales. How much money did you make personally in profits? Oh, I, me personally? I lose money on 420 every year. Or any put- of your businesses? No, we don't make any money at 420 at all. 420 loses money every year. The city says it can't do an interview because the issue is before council. 420 Vancouver, perfectly content with the current location, which it does not have a permit for. Romina Dea, Global News. A new lesson for students in Vancouver on the dangers of gangs. The Vancouver Police Department is teaming up with the school board and the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit to introduce the End Gang Life Initiative in Vancouver schools. Presentations on the realities of gangs will be tailored to specifically appeal to Vancouver students. Police encourage anyone wanting to leave gang life to use resources available through the CFSEU Gang Exiting and Intervention Helpline. A warning tonight about an online rental scam taking advantage of would-be tenants. Scammers are posting ads of places to rent, but they're using pictures they've swiped from other homes for sale. Jordan Armstrong explains how one couple caught on just in time and what to do to protect yourself. Cute little home built in uh, 1931. 
Three bedrooms, two bathrooms, nearly 2,000 square feet in a quiet neighborhood of New Westminster. Is this home for rent? Definitely not for rent. This home is for sale. But someone was advertising this house for rent on Craigslist for the low price of $1,900 a month. Problem is, neither the homeowner nor the realtor knew about it until would-be renters started calling. And I explained that it's not a rental, it's for sale, and that it's owner-occupied. The bogus online ad quickly taken down, but it used photos and descriptions from Annie Kosovic's legitimate for sale listing. It is happening a lot because uh, the rental market is really pretty tight right now. Before it disappeared, the Craigslist ad caught the attention of Brittany DeGagne and her boyfriend. DeGagne, who works at Global BC, emailed whom she thought was the homeowner and got this response. They said that him and his wife had uh, relocated to San Antonio, Texas um, for work reasons. The scammer sent a rental application asking for her driver's license, current address, and a down payment before moving in or even seeing the property. That must have been a major red flag. Absolutely. And um, luckily, I, um, you know, I, I've been in the market and I, I realized that that's something that you, you know, should never do. My recommendation is to not give a deposit to anyone unless you uh, have physically walked through the property, met with the people, and done some type of uh, due diligence with regard to who owns the home. Degagne didn't lose money, but she did lose precious time in her property search. She's still looking for a legitimate place to rent. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Vancouverites getting their first look today at the plans for the area along the future route of the Broadway subway line. The public is also being asked to weigh in and help develop what's best for the region. Nadia Stewart has a closer look at the current priorities and the reaction. At the corner of Camby and Broadway, the city of Vancouver is opening up its city lab for residents to weigh in on one of its biggest projects yet. The engagement is real. It's one of our core values here at the city. And, and now we've got another place that we can use to help uh, um, facilitate those conversations, both easy and difficult conversations. And there will be no shortage of both as the city kicks off two years of planning and consultation. The focus is on land use in the Broadway area, from First Avenue in the north to 16th in the south, and from Clark West to Vine. Learning from the mistakes of the Canada Line, the city says it's trying to engage businesses and residents earlier in the process. By taking a, an earlier and a broader look here in the Broadway planning process, uh, we can have a lot more variety and a lot more space to kind of step development down, get a mix of uses, and think kind of more holistically. Measures have already been taken to curb speculation. The residents are voicing concerns, fearing for the future of their neighborhood. Why aren't they talking to us three, four years ago about land use? Larry Benj with the Coalition of Vancouver Neighborhoods says cost overrun and impact to businesses are big worries. He says light surface rail on Broadway and other east-west routes would meet commuter demands without the same kind of disruption subway construction brings. He says residents need to be part of the conversation. That's the problem. They're going to come out to an open house with the supposition that a subway is going to come through here, which hasn't been fully funded, and they're going to talk about land use, and I'm sure they're going to present options which haven't been uh, vetted through anybody that lives around here. 
I hope that this is a opportunity to rebuild trust if within the planning process. SFU professor Andy Yen says the city must be transparent with residents and ensure the neighborhoods are still affordable and livable. You're also talking about a corridor that has a fair amount of residential uh, development, that there's going to be a need for strategies to make sure that, that, that those populations do not become displaced. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Right now, though, a very different story today from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's former right-hand man on the SNC-Lavalin affair. Gerald Butts testifying before the Commons Justice Committee, refuting last Wednesday's bombshell testimony from Jody Wilson-Raybould. Global's Abigail Biman has more. He was calm, he was measured, and for two and a half hours, Gerald Butts was clear on this point. Was there a coordinated effort? within the PMO to try to get the former AG to change her mind on the SNC file? No. Butts repeated over and over he and others in the Prime Minister's office just wanted Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould to consider an external opinion on the SNC-Lavalin file from someone like former Supreme Court Justice Beverly McLaughlin. This is the heart of the matter here. Does um, asking for external advice constitute um, political interference? And I think by any reasonable definition of the term it does not and while the inference hung heavy in the air butts stopped just short of calling wilson raybould a liar i am not here to uh, call anybody names it just doesn't ring like something they would do i do believe that it is possible for people to draw different conclusions from the same experience. Butts was one of 11 people Wilson-Raybould accused of pressuring her to make a favorable decision in the SNC-Lavalin case. In her testimony last week, she accused Butts of saying this. There is no solution here that does not involve some interference, end quote. I have a very different version of events. She either lied or she didn't. It's about her credibility. It is about what happened. Okay, And there are different perspectives on what happened. I see. I am not here to call anybody names. The clerk of the Privy Council also testified for the second time. I made no threats, veiled or otherwise. Michael Wernick also refuted Wilson-Raybould's version of events and claimed he doesn't give partisan advice. But said Wilson-Raybould was initially offered the Indigenous Services portfolio, but turned it down because she couldn't defend the Indian Act. But what happened next, how she became Veterans Affairs Minister, is still a mystery. In a statement, Wilson-Raybould said she'd be happy to testify again. But the Liberal majority on the committee shot down a motion that would have had her do just that. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, so what happens now? Well, this story can go in several directions, Chris. I've covered six leadership crises here in B.C., and I can tell you uh, the worst-case scenario for Mr. Trudeau now is if there's further resignations, not just from his cabinet, but from his caucus. That's a sign that the leader is in serious trouble. I put that question to a minister who was here today, Carla Quattro, the public services minister. Is she fearful there could be more resignations coming from her caucus? Here's a response. I have absolutely no indications that that is the case. And of course, if such thing happened, I would be concerned because it's certainly not fun to have a colleague leave the table. Um, But there's no indication and nothing on my radar that would suggest that. 
Now, the next thing is going to happen is occurs early tomorrow morning in Ottawa. Uh, Pierre, or Pierre, Justin Trudeau will be holding a news conference in the National Press Theatre, presumably to offer finally a clear response from him over exactly where this story goes next, what he's going to do about it. There have been reports he's going to be contrite. I'm not convinced that's the case. They think they've done nothing wrong, so there's nothing to be contrite for. But the next step tomorrow morning with Justin Trudeau. And we'll be watching. Thanks very much, Keith. Right. A special investigator has been appointed to conduct an investigation into allegations of misconduct against two high-ranking officers at the B.C. Legislature. Richard Zussman has more on the appointment of former Chief Justice of Canada, Beverly McLaughlin. Beverly McLaughlin was the longest-serving Chief Justice in Canada's history and now will be responsible to looking into the allegations from the Plekis report. She'll be able to look at the original report as well as Clerk Craig James and Sergeant Arms Gary Lenz's response and Plekis's rebuttal. Ultimately, the decision will be made whether the two men should return to their jobs, be kept on leave with pay, move to leave without pay, or be terminated. But suffice it to say that she'll be able to look at the, uh, the reports that, uh, that we have got and um, if she has questions, she will get answers. There's a separate ongoing RCMP investigation. McLaughlin, though, will have power as a special investigator to interview James or Lenz, as well as Speaker Daryl Plekis. She also can interview any other witnesses. She has until May 3rd to return the report, which is now promised to be made public. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, two years after the body of 72-year-old Richard Blair Young was discovered just outside Victoria, Police are releasing new evidence and appealing to the public for information. Investigators today unveiling new video of Young leaving his Victoria apartment on February 8, 2017. That's the last time he was seen alive. He was reported missing a week later and that March his body was discovered near a rest stop on the Malahat Highway. Police say they have identified persons of interest. They also say more than $30,000 in fraudulent transactions were made with Young's credit cards and bank accounts after his disappearance. They're hoping someone will come forward with information. Often you will wind up talking to people a significant period of time later where they have critical information, in our view, they never told anybody because they didn't think it was important or they thought someone else would have told the police. And so we need to get this back in the public view now and because uh, we're at a point where we need the help of the public. While Young's death was deemed a homicide, the official cause has not been released, but investigators say the public is not at risk. A deadly float plane crash in B.C. nearly 10 years ago has finally sparked a change in safety regulations. Transport Canada says passengers on commercial seaplanes with nine passengers or less will now be required to wear inflatable flotation devices while the plane is on or over water. Safety advocates have been pushing for the change since this crash off Saturna Island that killed six people. And while critics are applauding the change, they point out that the people who died in the Saturna crash were trapped inside the plane by jammed exit doors. 
They say Transport Canada should also require float planes to have emergency exits. Operators have 18 months to comply with the new life jacket regulations. A warning tonight for residents of the Tri-Cities with a dramatic spike in cougar sightings over the past month. John Waugh explains why incidents are way up and why conservation officers are not taking any drastic action. Less than two weeks ago, this Port Moody housing co-op became a hunting ground. She had gone to walk the dog and happened to just turn around and she saw this cougar. Cameron McLean says his mother tugged on the dog's leash, startling the apex predator before the family pooch became its prey. She was a little shaken, um, which is natural. It's a big old scary kitty cat. Cougar sightings in the region are usually quite rare, but a wave of recent activity has prompted warnings from Port Moody, Coquitlam, and Port Coquitlam. That's crazy. It's like... What's going on here? Well, they're coming for an easy meal, you know, whether it be pets or, you know, smaller creatures. Now, last year in the Tri-Cities area, between February 1st and March 4th, BC Conservation Officers received six calls related to cougars. For the same time period this year, that number jumps up to 39 calls. The concern for me, I guess, is, is that people wouldn't expect it. I mean, we didn't. Experts say recent dry weather has made it harder for cougars to track the scent of deer, making smaller game in urban areas a better bet. At the end of the day, uh, we are not overly concerned, but we're being cautious. People are being told to keep their children close and dogs on leash. I've been letting her out without a lead and that will remind me to put her back on it. By offering little to hunt around these homes, the hope is these cougars will just move on and the wild animals will ultimately be spared from destruction. John Hua, Global News. Doesn't get any more frightening than this, especially if you're in that house at the base of the mountain. This avalanche crashing down a slope in the village of Sundal in southwestern Norway. The video shot by a woman on her front porch. The slide stopped just before it reached the town, and no one was injured. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. In Health Matters tonight, a UBC researcher is wor working on a new tool that could allow patients to get a quick and easy test for the deadliest form of skin cancer. Linda Aylesworth explains the science behind the groundbreaking device and why it could save countless lives. For four years now, Daniel Louie has been working on a project he hopes will earn him his Ph.D. This, um, in the scientific community, we'd call it a Stokes polarimetry probe. That's the technical term. His hope that it'll one day be useful in the diagnosis of the most deadly skin cancer of all, malignant melanoma, which can be tricky to tell apart from benign moles. When you visit your general practitioner, for example, they don't have the specialized training that a dermatologist does in order to determine whether or not um, you might have skin cancer. Well, I like it. I like it because there are other devices on the market, but it was Daniel's professor, Dr. Tim Lee, who came up with the idea of creating one that was affordable and easy to use, the kind of thing any doctor could keep in the office. You can tell like which one is suspicious lesion, then you shall further attention or do a biopsy or refer to a specialist or which device you do not need to uh, worry about it. It works with the use of a laser that's directed on suspicious moles. It fired a laser into the skin very quickly, you saw it, just a blink, and then 
it also reads the light that comes out of the skin as well. The light that comes back shows a sort of pattern that's determined by the kinds of cells it bounces off of in the skin. The cancer cell usually they have different shapes and they're denser and usually they're larger. So they scatter light in a slightly different way. And so this gives me the readings. And Over the next few years, Daniel will be perfecting the computer program that interprets that scattered light, eventually giving doctors a tool that will help in the early diagnosis of melanoma. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Some startling new evidence tonight of just how bad forest fires can be for our health. A new report from Greenpeace says smoke from fires last August that turned day to night in Prince George, just like this picture, uh, made the city one of the most polluted in the world. The height of summer, the middle of the day, and Prince George is almost in total darkness. This was what people up and down the Caribou dealt with for almost the entire month of August a health nightmare, and an environmental disaster. What we saw last summer was climate change-driven um, impacts of forest fires. Greenpeace crunched the numbers from August 2018 and came up with some alarming data. Some of the worst air quality in the world was found right here in BC. It's cities in Chile and China topping the list for terrible air, but the bulk of the top 10 were from Western North America last August. Wildfire smoke choking California and Washington State and B.C. Quinell and Prince George in the top 10. Williams Lake not far behind at number 13. The premier calls this the new normal. Health officials are warning of serious long-term consequences. Wildfire impacts is a big issue. It's a top issue that many um, professionals in the forestry and air quality disciplines are looking at. The BC Lung Association is taking the issue so seriously, there was a conference in Vancouver last month to talk about solutions across BC. Wildfire smoke last year resulted in 10,000 extra doctor visits. The best thing is for everybody to go into every wildfire season expecting that it might be the worst season we've ever seen. The Greenpeace report, just a snapshot of one month last year, but it is telling how bad the air was to rank with some of the most polluted cities on Earth. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Embattled singer R. Kelly is in the headlines again tonight and in jail. I gave you 30 years of my Robert. After the forecast, we'll tell you why the controversial R&B singer was arrested just hours after the broadcast of this explosive interview. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our forecast. We talked about uh, the snow that's been falling this afternoon, Christy, but there may be some sunshine in the forecast down the road. That's right. Down the road, we just really need to get through the next day and a half or so, and that's about it. Before we move on, I have some stunning imagery to show you from Southern California. Major storms have been rolling through that area, and in about a five-hour period, uh, the area from Santa Barbara down to L.A. saw 2,200 lightning strikes. It was an incredible line of lightning storms that were rolling through that area. Uh, and it's interesting. It is some 
somewhat connected to our weather in that uh, they are seeing the jet stream that we typically would see this time of year, and that has dropped south into our area. We're getting the cold, dry weather, and they are getting the rain and thunderstorms. Now, back to our weather. We are seeing significant, or we did see significant snow fall from the sky, but this image really depicts what we saw today and the reason why they had to issue a snowfall warning, but we really weren't expecting much. Roads, sidewalks, no accumulations, but the grass and the trees uh, certainly did see it. Some of the worst hit, hit areas were uh, north uh, Surrey area, thanks to Janet Brown for that one, and the Coquitlam area, but most other areas were, like I mentioned, where the roads weren't too bad. So the commute home could have been a lot worse, but for the most part, it was slow because of low visibility and sort of a wet conditions, but other than that, not too bad. Current temperatures, uh, so this will be about as cold as it will get overnight, zero, one degree. Can you see things are starting to ease off across the west? That will continue to track towards the east as this system pushes further inland. So the main concern overnight really is areas in the Caribou, Central Interior, the Columbia, and the Kootenai region. Ten, uh, sorry, five to ten centimeters expected there. Now for our region, we do still have instability, and we'll see that right through Friday morning. So we're not done with this yet, but these are pockets, isolated chance of a bit of snow, uh, likely showers in the afternoon as things warm up. So sunshine in the northwest, but Prince George south, snowfall overnight, conditions ease up through your morning hours tomorrow. For our area, we have a chance of showers or flurries, but not much really. Though there is a risk of thunderstorms across Vancouver Island tomorrow, very unsettled. But there's your Friday starting to clear, and that's your weekend, everyone. So lots to look forward to with that sunshine and warmth. And I'll leave you with a stunning shot of the sunrise this morning. Believe it or not, this is how the day started. It's hard to believe that was yeah. just a few hours ago. All right, thanks, Christy. Gorgeous, and thanks, Carmen. Well, singer R. Kelly was arrested in Chicago today. The singer led from a courtroom in cuffs after a judge ordered him to be placed under arrest for failure to pay more than $161,000 in child support. And that came just 12 hours after Kelly's emotional outburst during a TV interview about the charges of sexual assault against him. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this shit. I gave y'all 30 years of my career. Robert. 30 years of my career. Y'all trying to kill me. During the interview on CBS This Morning, Kelly admitted he'd made mistakes but repeatedly denied sexually abusing anyone, calling his accusers liars and claiming he is being assassinated. I'm confused. The game is already underway. Well, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, get special uh, treatment. I yes, suppose. they do, don't I mean, they? I can't honestly think during the midweek, really an hour. I mean, anyway. But everyone seems to go for it. Maybe the Canucks got paid off. We'll give you a little bit extra if you start early. All right, thanks, Sophie. The Canucks insist they are still in a playoff race, but they are finding out other teams are playing desperate hockey, too. And at this stage in their development, the Canucks just don't have the horses to stay in this race. Tonight, the playoff-bound Maple Leafs are in town with their long legion of suffering fans. Leafs fans with Keon... Armstrong? What era is this from? The Stanley Cup era of 67, I guess. It's been a while for them. 
Tanner Pearson with a chance here, stopped by Freddie Anderson. Nice feed from Adam Gaudet. Canucks uh, playing with some spark after really laying an egg in Vegas on Sunday. Nice save by Markstrom off Austin Matthews. Still no score in this one late in the first. This weekend, it's the HSBC Canada Sevens Rugby from BC Place. In rapid fashion, Vancouver has become the place for Rugby Sevens on this world tour. It's only in its fourth year, but it's been a smashing success on every level. And today, organizers announced a new contract extension to keep the event in Vancouver. And the party will continue at BC Place for another four years. HSBC Canada Sevens, now the premier event on the World Rugby Sevens series for fans and players alike. What's it like when you run out at BC Place as opposed to being in Vegas or in Singapore or in Hong Kong? Uh, this is the backyard tournament. Everyone that you know growing up is watching it. Friends, family, everyone finally gets to see what we're up to. Boys are always looking forward to Vancouver. It's always in the back of our minds, and yeah, everyone's pretty fired up for it. It's a try! That first game is always special. You can hear the crowd. Uh, we come out for a warm up, and they start yelling. I'm getting like goosebumps now thinking about it. Right? They're yelling and screaming for you guys, and that. And then when you're out here in the field, it's uh, it's kind of surreal. In four quick years, just under a quarter of a million fans have transformed BC Place and Canada Sevens into the party of the year. 95% of the tickets for this weekend's tournament are already sold. But the real secret to the success of this event is how it translates into the overall health of the game. Rugby Canada has seen a record number of kids taking up the sport the last couple of years with over 100,000 youngsters locking it up. How big of a deal is four more years? What does it mean? Well, it means a lot on several different fronts. For a rugby thing, what you see here, these kids getting inspired, taking up rugby, hugely valuable. But also, we forget, on the commercial front, this is a big success for us. And, and as long as we keep putting good crowds into BC Place, it helps us fund all our programs so our athletes, men and women, can go around the world and compete for Canada. So, a massive on several fronts. Hooray! Uh, Champions League round of 16 from Paris. Manchester United down 2-0 to uh, Paris Saint-Germain. A tall order for Man U, but just two minutes in, Romelu Lukaku intercepts the poor back pass, steps around Gianluigi Buffon, slots it in. The start Man United needed. PSG did equalize, but United answer Marcus Rashford from distance, but Buffon spills it. And there's Lukaku to make him pay, 2-1 at the half. Stays that way into the 90th minute when this happens. It's a clear handball by PSG. They have to go to VAR for review, and a penalty is in fact awarded. So it's 21-year-old Marcus Rashford against the 41-year-old Buffon, and youth conquers. The kid comes through, smashes it to the top of the net. United are off to the quarters. 3-3 on aggregate. They advance on more away goals. All right, Briar from Brandon, Jim Cotter's BC rink, won earlier versus the Northwest Territories to get to 4-2 and two on the ice now versus Ontario. A BC win, they guarantee to be moving on to the championship round, a loss, and they could have to go through a tiebreaker to advance. Second end, Cotter throwing the big weight, perfect shot, scores two to tie it at two. But in the third, Ontario's... Scott McDonald, kind of new to the Briar. It's his first Briar, so he is new, but a very aggressive young team, and they aggressiveness pays off here in the third, scoring four. They're up 7-3 now, playing the sixth. 
BC Boys 4A Basketball Provincials from Langley Event Center. First round between Mount Baker of Cranbrook and third uh, seed Terry Fox of Port Coquitlam. Jaden DeLeon with the steal and basket for Terry Fox. And then later the Ravens running the floor. Ko Takahashi to Greg Martinoni for the layup. And Terry Fox wins big 119-45. So they are off to the quarters. Meanwhile, fifth-ranked Burnaby South Rebels in gold, taking on Walnut Grove of Langley. That bullet pass by Kyle Kermacy to Justin Sunga, knocks down the corner three. Gators answer, Jarrett Jacobs with a slick pass inside to Kyle Long for the finish, but it's all Burnaby South, 114-84, so they go to the quarters. Games continue tonight at the Langley Event Center. There you are. Hopefully with a crowd in attendance there, yeah. it's your mom. Well, well, they're all in school right That's now. Right. Yeah. Of course Good point. All right. <laughs> Thanks sure. very much, Barry. Here's a snow report for tonight. Not a lot of new snow in the past 24 hours, but it is on the way. Whistler Blackwell minus 13. Grouse a little warmer at minus 3. Sasquatch minus 4. Revelstoke also warmer at minus 5. Today, Manning Park though minus 10. And Fernie minus 14. Bases haven't changed much in the past couple of days, but that will change in the coming days as snowfall pushes in across the region. Big White minus 6. Sun Peaks minus 4. Kicking Horse minus 13. And Powder King minus 15. Sadness and a lot of love from around the world tonight following a shocking announcement from Alex Trebek. The Canadian-born Jeopardy host telling his fans he has stage 4 pancreatic cancer, but he's vowing to fight. This is Jeopardy! On Jeopardy! he is the man with all the answers. But tonight, 78-year-old Alex Trebek sharing devastating news with his millions of fans. Now, just like 50,000 other people in the United States each year, this week I was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. This means the cancer has spread to other parts of Trebek's body. Only 3% of people with this diagnosis live more than five years. I'm going to fight this, and I'm going to keep working. I plan to beat the low survival rate statistics for this disease. Trebek has been a fixture in American living rooms for 35 years. Tonight, Wheel of Fortune host Pat Sajak tweets he would never bet against Trebek. And Trebek himself says he's counting on three more years, the number left on his contract. Ann Thompson, NBC News. Well, let's hope he makes it. Uh, someone tweeted today that he's like the Walter Cronkite of um, game right. shows. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's. Do you think that's fitting? Yeah, and I agree. And it was funny when he made well, not funny, but it, when he made the announcement, I couldn't help but think about Peter Jennings making right. the similar announcement mm-hmm. when he was diagnosed with cancer, yeah. and uh, and and obviously so many people pulling for him and hoping yeah. uh, that he does pull through. And he joked a bit in his yeah. announcement, he did, which yeah. was impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very courageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, in the middle of uh, of a s- snow warning, I guess. Uh, what's the? Is it? You know, yeah. Let's get the latest. I guess as we sure. head into tonight. So, snowfall warning is still in effect, but it's really just an. Uh, if a few pockets, a few neighborhoods see some accumulations, but most, I think it is all said and done, especially western sections, it's starting to ease off. All right. Thanks. Numb to it now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Have a good night. Good night.